Welcome to the Part-Time Money Podcast. My name is Philip Taylor uh, from ptmoney.com. Uh, on the podcast today, we have Ms. Donna Lewis. Donna is a full-time attorney, but on the side, she's a comedy writer and produces her own comic uh, strips and uh, cartoons as well. So she does that on a part-time basis, but she's hoping to one day make that her full-time gig. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to Donna about how she got started and how she's doing what she's doing, moving toward uh, more of a full-time opportunity here. So, Donna, welcome to the show. Hi. Happy Tuesday. Yes, same to you. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking with you. What first question we always ask folks is, is how did you get started doing something like this, especially since you're an attorney, which seems completely opposite of someone who would be doing uh, cartoons. Yeah, it does seem the opposite. Um, and uh, the cartoons had nothing to do with law at all. Um, I'm a writer, and I'm a writer who's been trying to get published off and on for years. Um, any writers out there will know what that feels like. Uh, it's frustrating. It's a lot of work. Um, you have to really maintain a high level of confidence even when you're not sure whether you should be confident. Um, so uh, a couple of years ago, it was actually more than a couple of years ago, back in uh, 2006 or seven, um, I decided to take a break from writing. And I thought it would be a good idea to do some cross-training, uh, something that would help my writing or maybe change my writing a little bit um, and, and add value to my writing. Uh, I felt like I was writing the same all the time, and I, I had a feeling that probably wasn't good for me. So I started doing some stand-up comedy, and uh, it was really fun, really a lot of fun. And uh, the only problem was that the hours are really not fun. The hours are late, and the crowd is drunk, and uh, you get home very late, and obviously it's hard to keep a full-time job when you're doing stand-up. I don't know how some of those guys and gals out there do it. Um, but I had all this material. I was writing all this material, and I thought a lot of it was really funny. It made me laugh. And one day, um, I did a scribble and added one of the punchlines to it and scanned it and stuck it in an email. This was before Facebook. Well, before I had Facebook. And uh, sent it off to you know a bunch of people who I knew enjoyed my writing. And, you know, very, very quickly somebody said, ooh, send more. And obviously, if you tell somebody who's a creative person to send more, they're going to send more. And I think, I think starting probably that very, very day, um, I just started, like, doing two or three a day. And it just evolved. A, a comic strip evolved, which was shocking to me because I really knew nothing about comic strips. Hmm. And at the same time, you were working as a full-time attorney, right? Yeah. Not a good one, but, you know. <laughs> uh, I can relate to that story for sure. Uh, and I especially like the way you uh, took your creativity and you were sort of open to, uh, you know, a new, I guess, a new forum or a new uh, style for expressing that creativity. Um, that's you interesting. Know, I'll just mention something because I don't, I don't think it would have occurred to me how important, I call it cross-training, I'm sure there's a lot of different ways to refer to the concept of cross-training. Um, my dog is having a little bit of a fit in the background, so just if you hear weird noises, just, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not abuse, it's a spoiled, a spoiled dog who wants attention. Um, 
but at the time I, I had been uh, a runner and I had fallen in with a crowd that did triathlons and swimming was not a strength and biking was definitely not a strength running was barely a strength um, but I did start doing triathlons and I found that when I did more than one sport with any sort of dedication my running improved and so when it came time for me to take a break from writing I just something something in my mind really just said you know go do things that are not what you're doing in terms of your creativity but will enhance your creativity and stretch your rubber band does everybody know what stretch your rubber band means I think so okay but explain it just in case so you know what a rubber band is and rubber bands only stretch so far um, but if you stretch them further than their default I don't know what the word is circumference or I don't know rubber band lingo um, the concept is that the rubber band will get it won't be as large as where you stretch it to but it will be a little larger than it where it was when you started and um, gotcha it it just totally worked out right now I can understand how the writing would make the leap but the uh, the art the the drawing would be more <laughs> of a challenge is that something you were trained in as well no um, no and and I'm laughing because um, when I got syndicated um, there was a bit of a backlash from some official cartoonists not not um, not official cartoon cartoonists who are very serious about their cartooning and who are artists um, because my drawing was so bad uh, I'm not an artist I'm a very creative person um, I can th I can throw paint on a somewhere behind me I think there are canvases mm -hmm. I can throw paint on a canvas you know I can't charge five thousand dollars for it but you know I can make some colors go together um, but I really can't draw actually now I can draw better than I could back in 2007 uh, I was drawing stick figures um, but you know at the time it it didn't occur to me that I would get syndicated so it didn't occur to me that the art would ever matter I was just drawing these cute little stick figures that were kind of fun to look at and it was only after I got syndicated that I thought man I better learn how to draw and so I, I just self-taught myself I just I learned how to draw okay well I like the style of the comics and where can people see, where can people see the uh, the work people can see, the comic strip is called apply all uh, and actually now there's a comic strip and a cartoon um, and remind yourself to ask me that was hard that was hard to do logically <laughs> Remind yourself to ask me how the cartoon came about because uh, it's a good a good lesson uh, for folks out there who are trying to grow um, okay. so um, I have a website which is www.replyallcomic.com and people always say is there an S no there's no S it's comic uh, and then I'm also on Facebook. Facebook is the fun place to hang out because that's where people do comments and you can see what people are sharing and um, the shares are really interesting because 
you know, you can figure out what people, what pushed a button, um, you know. So sometimes I'll post a comic that's about, you know, something really stupid like when you go to a web browser and you can't remember what you were going to look up, you know, just one of those moments of the day. And then it turns out that like a million people this had the same exact thing happen to them. It just makes you feel better about yourself. Sure. Uh, so on Facebook, it's Reply All Comic on Facebook. And uh, it's Reply All Comic on Twitter also, but I'm really bad at Twitter. Okay. Well, very good. Well, I would think uh, Facebook would be a better platform for the comic stuff anyway. It's because of the graphics. More visual, yeah. It's, it's visual. People love a visual, man. That's right. Um, okay, well, let's, let's, what are your comic strips about? So you, you start, sort of talk, ask me to ask you about that. So here we go. It's called Reply All Comics. Uh, Reply All. Obviously, there's like an office humor thing going on here, maybe. Actually, it wasn't originally office humor. It was originally girl humor. Um, and obviously, well, or maybe not so obviously, to me, girl humor includes guys, because guys are a big part of girls' lives. Um, there's mother humor in there. There's cousin humor. I, I would have put in sister humor, but I don't have any sisters. But I have cousins who are just as challenging, I think, as sisters would be, and fun. Uh, and so there's cousin humor, there's family humor, there's dog humor, um, kind of all the stuff that would be in the life of a girl who's working. And I'm a girl who's working, I'm a girl who's always worked, um, my life has been defined by work. And so most of the humor comes from kind of that, that tension between doing everything you can to be as good as you can at whatever it is that you've chosen to do in your life, whether it's work or something else. Um, the tension between that and constantly feeling like you could be doing more or you should be doing more or something like that. Yep. So that's, that's pretty much what the strip is about. Okay. Well, I like it. You've got a good, solid niche there. Now, yeah. did a, a lot of your uh, your writing, was it on similar topics? The writing was on similar topics. The, the big difference is that the writing was always focused on essays and short stories. And so the writing was always an observation uh, in detail of a situation. So, for instance, a good example is I wrote an essay once on something that happened to me on the metro. I don't know. Do you guys have metro in Texas? Do you have no, subway in Texas? We have not. No, we we have a light rail system. A light. Okay, it's not. But you know, you've. I'm sure you've seen a metro or a subway here in D.C. We have a metro, and for years I rode the metro to work. And man, that's a lot of material right there on a metro <laughs> ride. <laughs> um, people are crazy. Um, People are different. It's it's a good way to remember that your approach to living is not the only one, you know. <laughs> and so, um, so an essay that I wrote that was real popular was an essay about something that happened to me on the metro. I think it it was something like I accidentally touched a woman next to me, or she accident we touched. 
by accident, and um, apparently she wasn't comfortable touching people on the metro, even though it happens sometimes. Um, and so I wrote an essay on how all the different people I knew in my life would have responded to the same exact situation. In a comic strip, you've got a real quick chance to convey that concept. So in a comic strip, I haven't ever written that comic strip, but it would probably be the character talking about something that happened on the Metro, and then another character maybe just giving a complete different, completely different take on what they would have done. You know, well, I would have slapped her, or, you know, whatever the other character would have done. I didn't slap her. <laughs> I made a joke. She didn't like it. Gotcha. But that's DC for you. <laughs> I got you. So it, it, it takes a little bit different type of format. It's almost like the punchline of the essay. Uh, yes. It's only, it's only the punchline. And right. it's, it's a, for anybody out there who's a writer and you're trying to um, mix up your writing or maybe break your style or something, uh, stand-up is amazing because you learn how to convey the entire absurdity of a situation in really just one or two very brief sentences. You have to hit it right there and you have to understand how much people would already know from their experience, how much you can rely on people already knowing to be able to make the joke. Yeah, yeah. I have to think about those things when I write, for sure. Same, right. same deal. Um, but I've got a lot more room to work with. Um, yeah. So that's interesting that you've been able to kind of refine that skill. Yeah. Uh, so, so talk about um, sort of the time between when you started and when you first got syndicated. Uh, you said 06, 07 was when you sort of started out. Yeah, so in 07, in 06 I was doing um, stand-up, and to me, I viewed it as cross-training. Um, I was really just trying to mix things up a little bit. Um, I had a lot more fun than I thought I would have. Um, I also realized how old I was and that I really can't stay up at night, uh, but that's okay. Um, nothing to be ashamed of if you can't stay up at night. <laughs> and um, then I drew the little first scribble comic or cartoon in early 2007, sent it out, and immediately got fabulous feedback. People wanted to see more, so obviously I started doing more. I was doing two or three a day, and the reason I was doing two or three a day was because I couldn't draw, so I was only doing scribbles. And because I had a lot of material in my head, I had been writing stand-up material for the last like six months, and I had all these funny jokes in my head, um, and I wanted to put them on paper. So I had a ton of material, and uh, I just started churning these things out, and, and eventually I posted them on a website, not my current website, the, the pre-syndication website, and, um, you know, people started following and little by little, the art started getting better. It wasn't good, but it started getting better. The art started evolving, and I mean, you can see it if you if you go to the website and you look at anything from the early days. I mean, I've basically gone from stick figures to characters who look like little people. So. Um, Eventually, people started asking me when I was going to get published, and 
my answer was, I have no idea. I have no idea how you get something like this published. So I did some research. The research was depressing. Um, everything you read about syndication says that it's impossible to get syndicated, uh, which turns out mostly to be true, I think. Um, I think for me the timing was just really special in this case. Um, so I spent about a year, <laughs> actually this is this, this little part of the story is, is a good lesson for folks out there about networking. One of the most successful, award-winning, commercially successful cartoonists uh, is Stefan Pastis, who does uh, Pearls Before Swine. And the only thing that I really knew about Stefan Pastis was that he was a lawyer. And I didn't have the confidence to ask any cartoonists questions about cartooning, but I can always pick up the phone or, or drop an email to a lawyer. I mean, I've been lawyering long enough that I'm confident in that arena. And I mean, I know, I know that a lawyer will always talk to a lawyer. I guess gotcha. it's similar in most industries, you know. Um, so I sent an email to Stefan Pastis and I said, okay, well, number one, please talk to me because I'm a lawyer. And number two, I have this comic strip, and I'm not sure how to get it published, and people are asking me how to get it published, uh, when I'm going to get it published. I never showed him the comic strip, because I felt like, well, number one, I wasn't confident in the comic strip. And also, I, I wasn't asking him for input about the comic strip. I was literally just asking him for kind of the next steps. And he said, just send some stuff to syndicates just you know and I spent the next probably year being very nervous about what to send and it had to be perfect and it had to look perfect and I didn't know the right font to use on the cover page and should there be a cover page I got really obsessive about thinking that I had one shot and one shot only right and I think if I ever write a book the one lesson in the book will be you don't just get one shot. You get as many shots as you have energy to take. It, it's all up to you and when, if you're going to get tired or if you're going to get discouraged. But it's not just one shot because even if you send your writing or your product or your um, whatever you've created, your creation, even if you send it to somebody who could possibly do something with it and they don't like it, that doesn't mean you can never send it to them again. You can send it when it's better. You can send it when it's evolved. You can send it twice a year on your anniversary of the first time you sent it. You know, you can keep trying because your audience keeps changing and circumstances keep changing, so you should keep trying. Nothing stands still. Um, that was the most important lesson I learned and I'm very, very lucky, very lucky that I learned it the easy way. And by the easy way I mean that somebody who was reading the strip, at this point it was going out on email to people and people were sending it to people and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And at one point an acquaintance of mine sent me an email, and this was somebody I wasn't used to emailing with, um, and she said, I don't know if you know this, but I work at a newspaper, do you want me to send this to the comics editor? And I said, or no, 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 she said, do you want to talk to the comics editor? 
And I said, I'll do anything. I'll wash the comic editor's car for five minutes of insight or wisdom or discussion. I was looking for any gems that I could find. And so sure enough, I very, very quickly got an email from the comics editor who turned out to be the editor for a syndicate. The person who had connected us didn't, I don't think she realized that the connection she was making was between, I think she thought it was between a cartoonist and a newspaper. I don't think she realized it was between a cartoonist and a syndicate. Wow. And then when that editor got in touch with me, I I couldn't even believe who it was. It turned out to be one of the most well-known editors in cartoons um, ever. So... <laughs> Uh, it it was really it was really cool. So it helped to have the endorsement of this person who was already on your email distribution list. It helped to be out of the slush pile. I think that's what helped. And for anybody out there who's a writer, or I'm I'm guessing it's the same for almost any. Even if you're just sending a resume in for a job, I guess every industry has that slush pile. Maybe they call it something different in different industries, but the concept is that if 3,000 people send in a resume and yours is one of the 3,000, you're in the pile. You you might be the best one in the pile, but it's really, really hard for the owner of that pile to find you in the pile. And right. so I think the key was that I wasn't, I was never in a pile. I was never in a pile. I was just always this standalone, you know, entity. And um, who knows? I, I guess I should go back and ask my editor um, what she probably was doing a favor for the person who thought they were doing me a favor. And they were. They were definitely doing me a favor. She's probably just being nice. She, you know, and then there's... There's she liked all, it. She liked it. She wanted to have you to have success because she liked it too. Right? Well, she definitely liked the strip. Um, although when we met, she didn't look at the strip. She didn't look at the strip seriously until after we met. Um, and then we had a couple of months of me sending her stuff and her asking for stuff. And then after we we definitely knew we wanted to work together. I loved her. She loved the strip. She liked me enough. And then in October of, I'll say 2009, Kathy Guyswhite all of a sudden one day announced that she wasn't doing Kathy anymore. And uh, I think I called my editor as she was picking up the phone to call me. I mean, it was just such an obvious moment. There are not a lot of comic strips drawn by women. There are not a lot of comic strips about women, um, even though mine's not really similar to Kathy. It's obviously in the same genre. It's more like Kathy meets Sex in the City, and uh, it's little, little, uh, little edgier than Kathy, and, and and more evolved. The character is in a different time than than Kathy was, right? And the timing. It was just that everything fell into place, and it only took four years. 
<laughs> for everything to fall into place. You know, people think these things happen overnight. You know, it was four years of producing two to three comics a day. And then all of a sudden, Kathy Guyswhite, you know, left a big hole in the newspaper industry for female comics. And I had a comic ready to go. Awesome. Yep. So, uh, for those people ignorant of the industry, what is syndication? What does that mean for you uh, from a monetary perspective? Because I'm assuming this was the first time you got or started to get paid for your work. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and are there other ways to make money with your uh, cartoons except for syndic except syndication? Yeah. Sorry. Syndication right now, to be honest, I think is the worst approach to some to, to getting published, to getting a cartoon published. Um, I, I really, I made it in to the industry as the door was closing. I mean, honestly, anybody who knows the newspaper industry knows that, you know, it's a changing model. The model hasn't quite been figured out, um, especially from the monetary aspect. How do you monetize writing? How do you monetize content? That all hasn't been figured out yet. Um, people generally know that it's got something to do with software and apps and internet and online, but actually monetizing content is, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy for the content provider, and it's certainly not easy for the owner of the content, whether that's the writer or the artist or whoever. So um, syndication, the easiest way to think about syndication is to think about features that you like personally in your local newspaper. So let's say that you love Sudoku or you love the crossword puzzle or you love Dear Abby or whoever writes Dear Abby these days. I'm pretty sure I should know that but I don't. Maybe you like the editorial columnists. Maybe you like the guy who always writes about your town's baseball team and has been writing about baseball you know, forever. Those features are syndicated, meaning that they're not just in your local newspaper, unless it's a very local feature. Every newspaper has a very local feature. But most of the features in your newspaper are content that also is in other newspapers, maybe other magazines, um, now other uh, locations on the Internet, maybe in apps. Um, so getting syndicated basically means that a company, the syndicate, uh, which, you know, it's fun to think of it like the mafia, but it's really not, really not like that. Yeah, it's a cool <laughs> word, the syndicate. It's a cool word. Unfortunately, the people connected with the syndicate, like, you really couldn't be scared of them in an alley. Like, they're just, <laughs> they're really not very scary. They're, they're very nice, though. Um, and funny. Um, so the the feature in in my case, the feature happens to be one comic strip, which is four panels delivered daily, and one cartoon, which is a single panel delivered daily. Uh, both of those are syndicated, so they both are sold. Um, to, the use of those is sold to newspapers, magazines, companies that have apps, stuff like that. Um, and then I get a paycheck every month, which is quite a surprise. I, I never, ever thought I would see money coming from 
my doodles and, and humor. I figured eventually I would get something published, but I didn't think it would be a cartoon or a comic strip. Gotcha. Uh, do you mind sharing what that is or giving us an idea of what that is? Of what? What is? The, the amount you get paid and how often. Or... Yeah, I probably don't want to say that. Um, it's a really, syndication is a really competitive business because so few people in any one genre are syndicated. So you kind of don't like to make it easy for people to find out where you stand today or yesterday or tomorrow. Sure. Um, yeah. But I'll tell you this. So I've my strip is in its third year. If you look at the most popular strips, um, if you look at Baby Blues or Zits or Pearls Before Swine or I'm trying to think of what's popular, um, I'm, I'm skipping Doonesbury for a reason. Um, those are strips that have been out for over 10 years. After over 10 years, and they entered the market when newspapers hadn't yet started to die out. Um, those guys can live off of the money that they're making from syndication. Um, at the three-year mark, you, it, it's pretty hard to live off the money you're making from syndication. Okay. Um, so depends on how poor you want to live. <laughs> but yeah. this is a legitimate part-time income for you now. and it, it, Oh, absolutely. It heavily subsidizes what you're doing with your attorney practice or your corporate attorney work. It's um, it's a significant amount of money. And okay. if I didn't live in Washington, D.C., it would be a more significant Sure. amount of money, but DC unfortunately is a money suck okay. and just, you know, you don't get to keep any of what you make when right. you live in DC. It's just too expensive. Well, it's rare that I talk to someone on the podcast who pours a, a lot of, uh, really a lot of, of time and effort into something um, to have it not pay off for a long, long time, but then finally do so well in, in this regard. So congratulations to you for Thank staying you. with it. And uh, finally, you know, seeing some return on uh, some monetary return. It's hard to stop doing something that you really love that's bringing right. you a lot of joy that right. you're getting good feedback about, you know. Mm -hmm. So maybe talk about some ways that you see other cartoonists or artists or writers uh, who are sort of doing a similar thing also profiting, profiting from some of their efforts. Well, so um, one thing I should mention is that now with the comic strip, now that the comic strip has proven to be popular, um, and and I mean that in terms of numbers, I've got I've got good numbers of people who follow the cartoon and the comic strip every day. How do you know that? Um, I have different measures. Um, I don't use Twitter because Twitter just for a comic strip. You know, Twitter is more for the wit written word. Um, this isn't something that the syndicate is telling you. You've been able to collect these. The, syndi the syndicate follows numbers. However, a syndicate follows numbers. Um, to be really honest, don't tell anybody this and mute this so that your followers and your listeners don't hear it. Okay. But I don't, tr I don't trust the syndicate. Gotcha. And it's it's not because it's not because of my particular syndicate. It's just that. The syndicate is used to doing business in a print industry, sure. and my strip came out 
as strips were starting to get popular on the internet. So for, for your listeners, if anybody follows like the oatmeal on the internet or I want to say XKCD, I'm not sure whether I got those letters correct. XKCD or some variation of that is a very, very popular um, comic strip. Huh? Red meat. Is that another one? Red meat. Um, red meat, I don't know. Toothpaste for dinner okay. is a really popular one. Um, the oatmeal, if anybody out there is, is looking to figure out how to monetize creative content, go look up the oatmeal. Um, that's a guy who started off, he draws stick figures. He still to this day draws stick figures. He's got a website where like you can find, <laughs> he does funny things like he'll do like um, 10 great uses for a dead cat or I, I don't know if that's actually one of his things but it sounds like it would be one of his things right. or like um, the top 10 most annoying grammatical errors related to apostrophes, you know, the kind of stuff that like people hang on their office wall because they relate to it. Um, he is making a lot of money from, from being published. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know whether he self-published or whether he got a contract with a publisher, um, but anybody could look that up. That's, that's pretty easy okay. stuff. But he's, he's, he's the model for uh, monetizing humorous content. Okay. He's one of the models. All right, um, we'll be sure to, I'll be sure to link to him then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's Matthew Inman or something like that. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. A uh, couple of other questions um, before we have to run here. First is you mentioned something about licensing. Is that different yeah. from syndication? Yeah, so now I have hundreds and hundreds of cute little characters saying funny things, and they can go on products. They can go on mugs. They can go on stationery. They can go on journals, on greeting cards, and all that. Um, and that's probably where the money these days would, would come from. Uh, for anybody out there who's an artist, or if you write clever things, um, like if, if you're the person who can write a tweet, and everybody loves your tweet, and they think you're a genius because you used 140 characters in a real smart way, you can get that stuff licensed. You can get it put on products and sold in stores. The example that I always think of about licensing for licensing is the line of products called Life is Good. Have you seen those? Anybody oh, yeah. who's in your audience who's an athlete would probably know the Life is Good stuff. They sell it, t-shirts, sweatshirts, lots of stuff, really good quality stuff with little drawings of happy people doing happy things like climbing rocks and stuff. Um, they, they make huge money from the licensing of those images on products. And so that's where I'm at now. I'm trying to get um, licensing for my images. Okay, good deal. Well, um, that's actually all we have time for today. Uh, where can people find out more about uh, the strip and about you? Um, anybody who has a question, should send me an email at d, the letter d, at replyallcomic.com or go visit my website, uh, www.replyallcomic.com or definitely come visit us on Facebook. Uh, we're Reply All Comic on Facebook. Um, if somebody out there has an idea 
and they're trying to figure out how to make it into something more than an idea, I'm always more than happy to think of stuff like that. Creative people have to stick together. Yes. All right. Thanks, Donald. Thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it.